Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, Paul said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. We're going through the book of Acts, and this is the verse we're trying to memorize, so would you stand with me and let's say it together. If you don't have it memorized, maybe today's your first day, you get to just read it off the screen, but would you say that out loud with me? Let's say it together. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Lord, whatever is on our minds today, when we leave here today, may we be more concerned about what's on your mind. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you would today. Now, we're gonna look here in just a second at Acts chapter 24, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and be getting that. If you didn't bring a Bible, we got you covered. There's a Bible in the pew there. You can go to the table of contents. Find the book of Acts and look with us at chapter 24. But first, let's have a little bit of fun. There's been, as you know, in our culture today, a bit of a uh, controversy that, you know, unfortunately divides a lot of people. There are things that in our culture depends on what the issue is. We choose one side versus the other. And one of those issues that, that gets talked about from time to time, unfortunately, divides a lot of people. It divides a lot of families, unfortunately, even divides marriages at times. And it is the important issue of candy corn. And so... I want us to just talk about it for a minute because we just need to settle this issue today. It's once and for all, we just kind of need to be done with it. So what we're going to do to kick things off this morning is we're going to have a court case right here, right now. You're going to be the jury because in every court you need a ju judge or a jury. In this case, we're going to go with a jury. You're the jury and, and congratulations, you're on jury duty. And, but we need an attorney. We need somebody who would represent the pro candy corn camp. And then we need somebody who would be in the anti candy corn camp because every court needs both a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney. So just, just kind of a pre-poll. Uh, how many of you are in the pro candy corn camp? And you would raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah, these are the people who love Jesus. There you go, two hands up in the back. All right, who would be willing, if you're in the pro candy corn camp, you would actually be willing to come up here and be the, the defense attorney for candy corn? Anybody in that camp that you would, I hear a shout in the back. All right, anybody? Okay, you're close and we got people pointing at you right here. All right, if you'll come on up real quick. And then how many of you despise candy corn and you think it's really, really evil? A few of you. You're not quite as loud, but we've got multiple hands, just one hand at a time, Jim. All right, would anybody be willing to be the attorney to prosecute the candy corn? Oh, Shane, perfect. Shane, come on up. Oh, Don, missed you. All right, real quick, come on up, let's do this. All right, so what we need to do, these are our attorneys. Welcome both of our attorneys to the stage. Um, Shane. All right, let's, let's, let's introduce ourselves real quick. Hi, I'm Diana Yao. My name, oh, hang on. I don't even need one. <laughs> you do need one. All right, one more time. I'm Diana Yao. I'm still Shane. 
All right, let's not encourage Shane. Now, here's what we're going to do. We'll have, this is the way it kind of works. So, Diana, you got to be ready at game time. And, you know, typical court case, the prosecuting attorney gets to go first, kind of make the case opening, kind of here's why it's no good. And then you get to say, here's why it's glorious and heavenly and godly and all these things about candy corn. And then we'll come back and you get to make the closing case, kind of rebuke what she just said. All right. And then when they're done, you guys will vote. All right. Everybody got it? All right. Shane, opening remarks. I get a rebuttal after her, right? Right. Okay. Because I got to save one of my points then. Okay. Okay. Please, by all means. No, you don't. Sorry, Diane. You shouldn't because I was just going to walk up here and say candy corn is just trash and that was going to be my argument but now I gotta come up with points. Right, right, and time's ticking by the way, so go ahead. All right, it is neither candy nor corn. We know it's not candy because candy is supposed to taste good, okay? Number two, you should never use wax to make candy. Save that for candles. And while we're on the subject of wax, anything that's nicknamed Satan's earwax should never be eaten because you know it doesn't taste good. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Well, (laughs) I can tell you that, first of all, it's tradition. And I am a big, firm believer in tradition. And not only that, but the colors are very happy. And happy colors are important to life because they can lift you up on a sad day. Plus, candy corn, also the same taste comes in the pumpkins. And I don't know about you, but that's worth breaking any diet for. That's awesome. And so candy corn, lastly, is made of sugar. (laughs) And that's all that needs to be said. Sugar. And lots of it. And you can eat it like layer by layer, bite off the white, bite off the yellow. Oh, candy corn is well glorious. Well done, that's beautiful, wow. All right, one last time. Right. Well, if it was so good, it should be here year round, but we know that's not true. So anyway, <laughs> candy corn is just, it's just wrapped in apathy and sealed in self-loathing because it knows it's trash. So do everybody a okay. favor, help fulfill its destiny by just throwing it away and not consuming it. Thank you, thank you, okay. Cynicism table for one. All right, so here we go. I wanna know, you're the jury, they've made their case, it's been powerful, but you get to make the decision once and for all, let's settle this for mankind. How many of you believe that candy corn is a beautiful thing that we should all enjoy? Okay, all right, I counted, I got the exact number, very good, all right. How many of you believe with Shane that it is less than desirable? Raise your hand. Very good. All right, can we first of all thank them? It is clear from my unofficial vote tally that candy corn wins and it is a great candy. Uh, (laughs) I think we're, (laughs) I think we're united now and I think, I think we're ready to talk about Jesus. All right. So we just had a little court case and what we're going to look at in scripture today is the most famous outside of the trials of Jesus, I believe the most famous court case in the Bible. You remember Paul, who we've been looking at, was sort of wanting to go to Jerusalem 
And all of his advisors were saying, don't you dare go. And he goes anyway. And they kept saying, if you go, Paul, you're going to end up being imprisoned. He went anyway. And his advisors, it turns out, were right. He's going to be imprisoned. In fact, I want you to look at this map again that we've looked at before. Here on this map, you see Paul, who got converted early in the book of Acts, and we see his story throughout. He goes on three missionary trips because God, through Jesus, changed his life. He had to tell everybody else about this same Jesus. And so on his third and final trip, you see he comes all the way from Antioch, all the way to Athens, Corinth. He goes all the way back, and he says, God wants me to go to Jerusalem. Advisors say, don't go. You're going to get in prison. He goes, I'm going anyway. He goes to Jerusalem here, and he ends up indeed being imprisoned. And all of Acts 23, if you were to look at that, is this chaotic scene where he is going before the Sanhedrin, then before the high priest, and they're all, eventually they're plotting to kill Paul. And to save Paul's skin, it's like candy corn. Everybody's divided around Paul. But Paul, in order to save his life, they literally will send him back from Jerusalem, back up to Caesarea. Remember, it's often called Caesarea by the sea. It's this beautiful coastal town there in Israel. And it's here where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 24. We're going to be in Caesarea. And Paul goes before the most powerful person in the region. He's a governor and his name is Felix. And we're going to see a trial. And here's what I want you to anticipate. At the end of this trial... Paul has a conversation with Felix, and in this conversation, Paul says something that causes Felix's blood to run cold. And what Paul says to Felix will bring fear to you and me too. And it's one of those things we don't like to think about, we don't like to talk about. But today we're going to talk about it, because the Bible talks a lot about it. And so we're going to face it together today. So if you've got your Bibles, with that said, let's look at one of the most famous trials in Scripture. Acts chapter 24, we pick up the story. We're in the city of Caesarea, and all of a sudden we have another attorney. I think the attorney would have been a lot like Shane, would have been very compelling, very convincing. However, I pictured this attorney that we're about to look at, his name is Tertullius, that he's a little bit more slimy and a little more slick-haired and kind of has the perfectly polished teeth and never does anything wrong, right? You know the type, right? The stereotype. Chapter 24, look at it. It says, five days later, they're in Caesarea now, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea, down because, again, elevation, with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. And they brought their charges against Paul to the governor. In other words, the most powerful person in the region, this Roman governor. And when Paul was called in, this attorney, Tertullius, presented his case before Felix, the governor. And he said, and he begins to sort of, just sort of kind of kiss up, basically. Watch what he says. Well, you know, I just want you to know, you can see his kind of his hand on his jacket pocket. He says, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under, under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude, but in order not to weary you further, governor, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Now, there's a lot of flattery happening in this, but you know what Felix is used to? Flattery. 
Everybody flatters him because he's so powerful. He didn't find this offensive or repulsive in any way. He almost expected it because everybody would bow before Felix. Everyone would make sure that they let him know how important he was and they would recognize his authority. And so he's very used to this. And now the attorney makes his case and he brings the charges against Paul. Look what he says. Here are the charges. Tertullius said, we have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. So right there, we see what the three charges are against Paul, and I want you to see these here against Paul. First charge is it says that he was a troublemaker. Now, this is a big deal because for Felix, if you were a troublemaker, this is the first charge, they would have realized that the troublemaker as a governor is supposed to keep civil order. So when he hears the term troublemaker, he thinks, "Uh uh-oh, he may cost me my job. The second charge is that he was anti-Roman cult. In other words, he claims that there's only one God, this Jesus But we know that Romans have lots of gods. And essentially by him claiming exclusivity through Jesus, he's basically diminishing our gods or our way of doing life. And then the third charge was that he desecrated the temple. And he says that because here with the temple, he was allowing Gentiles in. He was being sympathetic to the non-Jewish people. And from a Jewish perspective, that was very offensive. Now, meanwhile, there's this crowd that's listening to this you know, kind of slick attorney make his case. And just like you did earlier, a lot of you were not anti-candy corn until you heard Shane make this compelling case. And all of a sudden you jumped on that bandwagon and you may have even gotten a splinter jumping on it. But you were there and ready to go, weren't you? And all of a sudden, this is what happens here. When this attorney makes his case, the crowd, the court of public opinion went with this attorney and they jumped on the case and they are now all of a sudden anti-Paul. Look at verse eight and nine, we see it. It says, by examining yourself, you, Felix, will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against Paul. And then look, it says, the other Jews joined in. They joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. See, the truth is, We kind of like being in the jury, don't we? It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to be the one that gets to decide the case. And in this situation, these people are there and they're doing what a lot of us do because what we know is in the court of public opinion, we're gonna get there. In the court of public opinion, everyone passes judgment on others. In the court of public opinion, everyone gets, isn't that fun sometimes to get to pass judgment on other people? To get to be the one who says, what is she wearing? What is he thinking? Why would they act that way? And we get to be the ones who pass judgment, who get to be the ones who are making the decision. And guess what Felix does in this moment? He says, "Uh uh-uh, court of public opinion doesn't matter. I'm the judge. And he sort of struts his stuff and his power. Look at verse 22. Skip down to verse 22. It says, then Felix, despite all these people, Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. Remember what the way is? Basically, these are the Christians who are following Jesus who made the claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they were just called the way, people of the way. Felix, who was acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings And when Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, watch this. Say this, in fact, say this next sentence out loud with me. Look what he says. 
I will decide your case. No, you people, I appreciate you. I will be the one deciding the case. This isn't the court of public opinion. He is saying this is the court of Felix. And I am the judge. I'll decide the case. So he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to keep him from freedom or to give him some freedom and to permit his friends to take care of his needs. Here in this moment, Felix sort of struts his power. Remember, he's kind of drunk on his own power, right? This is a guy who's always been the final say on everything. But here's what's interesting. Did you notice it said that he was well acquainted with the way? And he's curious. What's this thing called Christianity all about anyway? What is this man named Jesus causing people to flip their lives upside down for? And so he does this really odd thing. Despite his power, look in the next verse, verse 24. Watch what he does. Several days later, Felix, who's curious, came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul. He sends for Paul, and he listened to Paul. As Paul spoke about faith in who? Christ Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? I wonder if in this moment when they're sitting together and they're getting to talk, if Paul didn't think, this is why God wanted me to go to Jerusalem. This is why, even though I had to endure all the beatings and the imprisonment and the difficulties and the accusations and the plots to kill me and brought me all the way back to Caesarea, this is why God wanted that. Think about it. He now has a one-on-one with the most powerful man in the region who is asking him to tell him about Jesus. The one person Paul wants to spend his rest of his life serving, he now gets to speak in this kind of a platform. Don't you think there's part of him that thinks, oh, I never envisioned why you wanted me to go to Jerusalem, but now I know this is the moment that I have been brought here for. And so he begins to tell, Felix, you wanna know about Jesus? Let me tell you about this man who changed everything for me. You see, Felix, before I knew Jesus, before Acts 9 ever became a chapter, I was out there terrorizing people, arresting Christians, and I was just like you, Felix. I had power, I had education, people respected me. I could go to any of the the temple priests and I could get any papers I wanted. I could even go to other regions and have people arrested, many to their death. That's the power I had, Felix. Life was going fine according to the court of public opinion. But one day, Felix, I was on my way. I was traveling down a road when all of a sudden the light from heaven was so bright and I saw Jesus himself, the man I had only heard about, the man who I was persecuting people who followed him. And I saw him and I realized not only was he real, but he really did rise from the dead and he changed my life in that moment. Everything changed for me and I was actually told that I could be forgiven of all the stuff I had done. I could actually be redeemed and have salvation and then he put me on a new course and I now get to testify about the good news of God's grace and I will spend my dying day talking about this man because he changed everything. He proved to me that God doesn't love from a distance. He's up close and personal and he wants to know me personally. Felix, this 
this man can change everything for you as well. And he begins to tell Felix about this Jesus. And the whole time Felix is hearing about this Jesus and he must be thinking, well, what do I do? This sounds almost too good to be true. And Felix in that moment has an experience that some of you have had in the past and some of you who may be visiting with us today, you may be feeling the same way. And that is, I don't know. That just, that, that sounds good, but I, I don't know. And, and if Felix accepts Jesus, everything is gonna change just like it did with Paul. But if he doesn't, the reason he will reject Jesus is because there are three common reasons people usually reject Jesus. Number one, it's because of procrastination. It's the idea, you know what, I'll deal with that later. The second most common reason people will reject Jesus is because of deception. It's the idea that I don't even know if I believe it's true. I mean, I have a prejudice against the supernatural. Yeah, I can't explain the whole sun rising and the galaxies sort of being perfectly aligned and how the complexity of the body works, but I don't believe in the supernatural, okay? Or we'll say it's pride, and that is the sense of, look, I I don't want to give up. I don't want to acknowledge that I have brokenness. I don't want to let go and control of my life. I don't want to surrender to someone else and let them be in charge, what will Felix decide? Well, we're going, to dec- we're going to find out in a minute. But before Felix decides, this is the moment where I think Paul leans forward and whispers to Felix a bombshell that I believe causes Felix's blood to run cold. And it might have the same impact on you today. He begins to talk about righteousness. He begins to talk about self-control. But then watch what he says in verse 25. He says, as Paul talked about righteousness and self-control, he also talked about the judgment to come. The judgment to come? What's this all about? I would imagine Felix is like, Paul, you know I'm the judge, right? He goes, right, but there's a judgment to come. In other words, Paul begins to tell Felix, Felix, I just want you to know this. There's a day coming where you're gonna lose all your rank, you're gonna lose all your power, You're gonna lose all your fame. No one's gonna flatter you anymore. And instead of sitting in that judge's seat, you're gonna be sitting in the defendant's seat. And in a moment, you're gonna lose all your power. And you will be just like the rest of us as a defendant in that judgment. I remember in 1992, I was a paralegal in the Air Force and I got stationed at Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo. And my first assignment was to be a paralegal with the JAG legal office. And I remember going in there with the very first case. They said, here's the one we want you to work on. And it was a real popular case because it was in the local news, the paper, the radio, and it was the base commander was being court-martialed. He was the most powerful person on the base And that meant he outranked everybody and it meant that everyone did what he said. But because of some things that he had done, we began to collect evidence. And my job was to collect all of the evidence and give it to the jury. And when I walked into that courtroom that day, I saluted him like everyone saluted him because he's the highest ranking person on the base. But when we walked into that room, his rank no longer mattered. And he sat down in the defendant's chair And all the accomplishments he had done didn't matter anymore. And the jury considered the evidence for which he had no defense. And they condemned him to a dishonorable discharge. And he walked out of that courtroom with no power and no one saluting him. And Paul looks at Felix and says, there is a day coming where you will stand before not the court of public opinion, not even the court of Felix. It's bigger than that. 
It's the court of God. It's a judgment to come. And what he wants Felix to know and wants us to know is that in the court of God, everyone will be judged by God. You won't be compared to me. I won't be compared to you. It's to a holy God and his perfection, and he is the judge. And all of us will be the defendant. And Felix has got to be thinking, now what is this? What is this you're talking about? Because I haven't sentenced you yet, Paul. You might want to you know, keep that in mind. Paul says, well, here's the deal. I will later write in Romans chapter 14, as surely as I live, says the Lord, this is quoting Jesus, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, and here it is, each of us will give an account of ourselves or of our lives to Felix? No, to God. And Felix is saying, I don't, I don't know that I like that. And Paul looks at Felix and says, well, here's the question that you'll have to consider, Felix. In that day, when you stand before a perfect God and all the thoughts that you've had that you know are wrong, all the things that you've done that you know are wrong, here will be the question when you stand before God, when you stand as an individual before him, what, Felix, will your defense be? What does Felix say? And then Paul has an opportunity to point back to Jesus who had transformed him and Paul says, here's what I'm going to say. Paul goes on to say, in the court of God, Jesus is our only defense. And I'm going to point to Jesus. Because in that moment, I will remind God, he gave his life for me. You remember on the road to Damascus, I gave my life to him. And he is my only defense because he paid for my sins on the cross. And Felix, hearing that, must be thinking, how does that work? This is the Hebrews Chapter nine, I want you to see this verse. Just as people are destined to die once and after that they face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many. He is our defense. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him on the day that we give an account. He is our only defense. And it's in this moment where Felix has a decision to make. How do I respond? And if you're wondering about your own salvation, I want you to see Felix's response here in just a minute. But first, I want to talk to those of us who follow Jesus. Because you may be check, tempted to check out in the story at this point. Because when we think of that day that we don't like to think about very often, we often come to the point where we feel a little overwhelmed and intimidated. And then we think, oh, that's right. Jesus is my defense. Whew, so I can just rest, right? But what about now? What about the time he has given us? Do you have a clear conscience for how you're living your life in light of that moment? Are you able to say like Paul, I have a clear conscience before God because I am living for the judgment to come. Is there anything in your life that needs to change today in light of that moment? Uh, that's why I want us to memorize Acts 20, 24, because in light of the judgment to come, which is where this verse seems to have its context, Paul said this powerful truth about his own life. 
So I want us to say it again. In light of the judgment to come, would you say this verse out loud with me? Again, it'll come on the screen, but would you say it out loud with me, what Paul said, in light of the judgment to come? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Here's what we know. In the court of God, if Jesus is our only defense, then the people that you love He is their only defense too. Now with that said, what about this question? In light of the day, knowing that you will stand before God someday, would you ask yourself, who has God put into my life so that I would share Jesus with them? So that they would have a defense on that day of judgment. You may be safe, but are you effective between now and then in serving him in light of that day. Now, if you're not following Jesus and you would say, I don't have that kind of a relationship with Jesus, I can kind of relate to how Felix must have felt because that just feels like something I'm not that familiar with or a decision I have yet made. I wanna ask you those same questions, knowing that you will stand before God someday as an individual, what will your defense be? Again, you're not comparing yourself to the person beside you, your parents, your kids, but to a holy God, what will your defense be? And just as Paul reminds us, our only defense in the court of God is Jesus. It's Jesus. And knowing all this, I want you to see Felix's response to the prince of preachers, Paul, as he makes the case for the gospel. Look what he said in the last part of verse 25. Felix, I believe, whose blood ran cold, he was afraid, and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave, and when I find it convenient, I will send for you. Ah, He was overwhelmed. He was scared to death, and he thought, I'll procrastinate. I'll put that off for another day. I'll do that later, and as history records, as far as we know, he died without ever having time to make a decision to follow Jesus. Paul did not waste that opportunity to share Jesus. Paul knew he wasn't responsible for the person's response and how they responded to Jesus. But Paul was faithful to take that moment to share Jesus. And I just wanna ask you, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? It is the most important decision you will make while you breathe on planet Earth, is what do you do with Jesus? And you might be curious but not convinced like Felix, and you may be tempted to think, I'll put that off for another day. I'll deal with that later. But what we are reminded of in this story is we aren't promised another day where we can deal with this later. And if God is tugging at your heart right now, this may be the moment he brought you right here to this place so that you could hear these words from Paul and you could once again consider, do I want to give my life to this Jesus? Do I want to humbly lay it down and make him the Lord of my life? Do I want to once and for all say, I am not going to be the king of my life. He will be the king of my life. And I don't know where it's going to lead, but wherever he leads, I will follow because I get to not only know a God from a distance, I get to know him up close and personal and he's going to give me purpose and I am willing to follow him wherever he goes. I want to tell you, it's the best decision you can make, but it's a decision you have to make. No one can make it for you. And so as we close today, I want to give you an opportunity to make this decision. His name is Jesus. And he's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful God. And he's here right now.
And he wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. And so I wanna ask you to do me a favor. All over the room here, would you just bow your heads, lower your heads, just close your eyes for a second. I wanna give those who may be wrestling with this decision, you feel something in your heart and you're not sure what that is exactly. I believe that you are here because Jesus is wanting to draw you into a relationship with him. And I wanna lead you in a prayer and give you an opportunity just to make that decision. There's nothing magical in the prayer, but it's your opportunity to make a decision for Christ once and for all. If that's you, would you just pray this prayer after me? Would you pray this? Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to the cross to pay for my sin and that you miraculously rose him from the dead. And today, I wanna once and for all confess that Jesus is my savior and my Lord. And I wanna commit the rest of my life to following him above all else. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a QR code on the pew in front of you. You can also see it on the screen. Did you click it? Let us know you made the decision. Maybe you'd wanna go out to the booth in the lobby. Let us know you made the decision. It's the best decision. Here's why. We not only wanna pray for you and celebrate that decision, but we also wanna let you know of some next steps you can take to begin following Jesus faithfully. We're all trying to do that. We're a long way from figuring it out, but we're on the journey together and we don't want you to be alone. We want you to be with others who can go on this journey with you as well. Would you all stand with me as we prepare our hearts to sing this final song? We stand and we sing today because we know the judgment is to come, but we know that we have a defense, amen? And his name is Jesus, let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Not just because you're good to us and you allow us to live in a great place and you, and you give us good things, but because we know one day all those things will be taken away and we will be in your presence. And like Paul, we will point to Jesus and say, thank you. For in this moment, it all makes sense. And salvation is complete because of what you did for us. And in the moment when you ask what our defense will be, the word that will come from our lips will be Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Artist Gloria Gaither wrote this, Jesus, the mere mention of his name can calm the storm, heal the broken and raise the dead. At the name of Jesus, I've seen sin, sin hardened men melt and derelicts transformed. The lights of hope put back into the eyes of a hopeless child. At the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness turns to love and forgiveness and arguments cease. I've heard a mother softly breathe Jesus' name at the bedside of a child delirious from a fever. And I've watched that little body be quiet, fever, cooled. I've sat at the bedside of a dying saint, her body racked with pain who in those final fleeting seconds summoned her last ounce of ebbing strength just to whisper the sweetest name on earth, Jesus, Jesus. Church, right now, I wanna just give you a moment 
to pray to our God this question. Take a few seconds before we sing again and ask him, God, in light of that day, when I stand before you, are there any changes I need to make today? Let's pray. So would you just say the name Jesus out loud with me? Say his name with me. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophies have tried to stamp it out. Dictators have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it, and yet his name still stands. Amen. And there shall be. Amen. There shall be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound Every voice of Adam's race shall raise with one mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For on that day, the name above all names, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord today? Amen. Then together, Let's sing to him. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.